You're listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show in support of European-level actions within the skeptical movement. The ESP is run by individuals representing different skeptical groups from across the continent. This is episode 226. I'm your host, Andras Pinter, and joining me for the show are my co-hosts, Jelena Levin and Pontus Böckmann. Sziasztok! Hey, Sanesan, how are you guys? <laughs> Not bad, you? Yeah, that's fine. Fine. The world is on fire, and yeah. But outside my window, the sun is shining. It's pretty warm. I've got the pool up. Uh, there's no stress, so I don't know what people are complaining about. Got a pool? Mm. Okay. <laughs> Yala, we are video chatting now, and I see something hanging around your neck. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> sounds terrible. It's actually much better than what Andrew just described. It, it looks like a French flag, but... Uh... It's, a me- it's a medal. I like how you said it's a French flag. I don't know why they're using these colors. It's a medal for running marathon, which I did wow. com- complete this weekend on Sunday. It's amazing. Uh, it was fucking hard. Uh, it took me five hours and 53 minutes, but I've done it. It's my first one, so I'm hoping to improve my time next time. Wow. Maybe running with, with actual people will help, because I reckon this whole like you know the support and the shouting i was missing that i'm like where are the people (laughs) when i need them (laughs) exactly i mean it must be very hard to get i mean you need all the motivation you can get and after a couple of hours i think you i had i had no one i had some so basically you did it all by yourself yeah yeah i had some random dog walkers in the park (laughs) looking at me weirdly because i was struggling to breathe but that's it that was it (laughs) wow (laughs) yeah you're a crazy person. Yeah. Uh, you know, I just thought, you know, f- fuck this. I've been uh, I've been sort of training for this since February and <laughs> b- before the whole shutdown started. And I thought, no, I'm not stopping now. Wow. And that was that. And uh, luckily, because of where we are, Washington was never that strict on lockdown. So I was still able to go out and run every other day. Which, mm. Whereas if you were, for example, in South Africa... Nobody was allowed out for months, mm. so, mm. yeah. Now that you mentioned Washington, I made the connection, Washington, D.C., and I was looking at your uh, medal, and uh, I just realized that the, f- the three colors, blue, white, and red, are the colors of the American flag as well. Mm. Yeah. America! USA! It's America! USA! USA! <laughs> the greatest country in the world! Yeah, yeah. It's not. But you're also, also just checking, you know that Washington State and Washington DC are not the same thing. Uh, I know. Correct. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. I know, but you're mentioning Washington, yeah, yeah. brought Washington DC to my mind, and then I made the connection, so... Mm-hmm. Ah, yes, 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 yeah. yes. It's just an insight into how my mind works. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry <laughs> about that. <laughs> it mustn't be very pleasant. <laughs> but there, there are other things that are not very pleasant, right? So this this summer is off to a terrible start, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Well, it's one thing that the, half the planet is up in arms against lockdown and, and the WHO and, and what have you, but this past May was the hottest ever recorded. Mm-hmm. Did you notice? No, I didn't actually. Huh, I not, think... not where, where I'm at. Yeah, not you, Pontus, because you live in Scandinavia and apparently Scandinavia was not no. hotter this month, uh, this this May. That's true. But the That's true. overall, the the world was. So this is food for for thought for global warming deniers on both ends. <laughs> but I, I wonder if this July can take over from last year's because uh, that was the hottest month since the beginning of temperature records. Wow. Yeah. Coincidentally, no matter how the lockdown affected transport related emissions, the the Keeling curve 
showed no change whatsoever in the usual trends. So the the Keeling curve, you you know what the Keeling Keeling curve is, right? Not really. Please. It explain. shows. Uh, <laughs> It shows the monthly measurements of carbon dioxide, CO2, mm-hmm. made at uh, Mauna Loa Observatory mm-hmm. in Hawaii. And uh, this May saw the highest level of CO2 ever recorded, wow. contrary to what people believed would be the case because yeah. of the lockdown, yeah. right? Huh. And uh, there are seasonal variations of the, of the CO2, which, which leads to the, this uh, sawtooth-like shape. It's it's really interesting. It goes up and down. The trend keeps going up, and uh, May is always the month with the with the highest concentration. And this year it was four hundred and seventeen point one parts per million, hmm. which was about two point four above last year's maximum. Mm-hmm. So it keeps climbing. But you up. know the, the fact that it's increasing without with the lockdown will just f- fuel yeah. the conspiracy theories that it's not human uh, man made at all. It's natural fluctuations yeah but there are several reasons why we did we didn't see that drop really happening that everyone expected first of all the system has a bit of a momentum in it mm-hmm. uh so we might see a more significant drop later this year but it's not certain especially with all the countries industries and, and all people around the world wanting to make up for the last month in the in the second half of the year so people are expecting industry to put out more carbon dioxide and stuff so uh it's interesting and then uh, transport was probably the only thing where where direct emissions really dropped and it's only responsible for one-fifth of uh, the total emissions transport so uh it's still significant but you know all that talk about the earth being able to breathe while we were out it's bollocks some some pollutants decrease significantly but most locally not on a global scale so anyhow, we're screwed. We're still screwed. Ugh, yeah. party pooper. The, the planet is warming, the permafrost is melting. Yeah, I, I just kept saying myself throughout this whole lockdown, I'm like, at least one good thing is happening. The earth is getting cleaner, the air is getting cleaner, like pollution is on the decline. Yeah, it's not happening. Yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, uh, there, there were several different pollutants that showed a drop, uh, but as I said, more like locally. And uh, air quality increased for a while in in different cities but um it's it's gonna end soon hmm. but what else is worrying me about this is the permafrost yeah. that is melting and and it adds to the greenhouse gas emissions of course <gasps> uh with all the the methane that's trapped in there finding its way out into the atmosphere yeah it will be a feedback loop yeah exactly because it's strengthening the the, the greenhouse effect and methane is even a stronger greenhouse gas than carbon dioxide so it's terrible so some some even fear that it can cause a, a runaway effect and and we can end up like the planet Venus, which is a massive exaggeration, but but it's still cause for concern. Mm. And uh, mm. it's said that it was also the melting of the permafrost that led to the collapse of uh, a diesel tank at a Russian river. Yeah, which led to another disaster. I, yeah, a Russian power plant near uh, Norilsk and. Uh, Correct me if I'm not saying the right the name right, Yelena. Mm-hmm. But that twenty thousand tons of oil that was spilled was spilled on the river Ambarnaya. Is it probably how it? I have no idea. Never mind. <laughs> uh, but it painted the surface of the river red. The photos. I don't know if you've seen the photos, but it's awful. I, I don't see. Ah, oh, there you go. There you go. There you go. Okay, sorry. Um, Ambarnaya. Ah, that. 
Uh, I mean, yes. <laughs> I'm Barner Rika. So I almost got it right. <laughs> I'm Barner River. I'm Barner, yeah. Never heard of that river. It's not particularly, obviously, big. Never mind, never mind. But, but yeah, though, no, that's... Uh, so that that's ugly stuff. And, and we're doing fuck all about all that. I mean, mm. they're trying to clean it up, but uh, they, they said it would take decades to The to Russians really trying to clean it up? The, forget it. Yeah, they yeah, don't yeah. give a shit. <laughs> the, the, what are you talking about? Yeah, they, they're not good at cleaning up. They're good at covering up. <laughs> yeah. Covering it up. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. They're just going to pretend nothing to see here. Nothing. Nothing. Move along. Yeah, but, but really, really, do you feel as well that we're doing fuck all? I mean, COP, the large meeting, COP26 in Glasgow that was planned for this year. Yeah. It, it has been put off to 2021. So we're putting things off all the time. Okay. I understand that this was uh, a time of coronavirus and everything, but they say that the UN is determined to reach net zero emissions levels by uh, 2050. It doesn't really look realistic. No. With the current but aren't we already talking about the negative emissions that we having to take the emission out of the thing to to make a difference? Yeah, yeah. That, uh, but, but I don't know if we have a practical way of doing that. There no, we do, we don't. But what I'm saying, there are. But what I'm saying is that zero emissions will no longer be enough. Yeah, or already is not enough. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and consider that that when it comes to fight against any kind of pandemic or being prepared for a pandemic, were we? No, we weren't, because we didn't have this sense of of crisis. And this is the same thing with... And, and look how soon we got fatigued of this, this whole crisis situation. So this, the same thing is happening with uh, the global warming and carbon dioxide emissions and the fight against climate change. It's not happening because people don't feel it as urgent. Yes, we'll deal with that tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Or I have even friends who say that, you know what, fuck that, I don't care. I'm not gonna change my lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And with that attitude, where are we going? Uh, nope. yeah. All right, on that positive note, I suggest we crack on with the show. <gasps> See okay. how much more there is to be concerned about. Well, I have some, <laughs> I have some good news anyway. <laughs> oh, good, good, good. That's good. Oh, I've got some too. Okay, good. So, as usual, yeah. it's best to start with a bit of a sceptical history, also known as This Week in Skepticism, presented by you, Yelena. Me, exactly. Yes. So the good news that I was talking about that I want to mention today is um, is to do with something that happened on 9th of June 2014, which is relatively... Recent. Not long ago. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very recent, very, very recent. I don't often talk about these kind of uh, items, but in this instance, I thought it was uh, very appropriate. And what happened was that teaching cre creationism in free schools and academies in UK was uh, banned by the government. Woohoo! So, so that's a pr pretty big step. So to compare, for example, to America, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it is still being taught, taught as if it's a, a valid scientific theory, the creationism. Uh, for those of our listeners who don't know what creationism is, it talks about God creating world in six days and resting on the seventh day. Oh, and the world being, uh, the earth being 6,000 years old. Is that right? Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. And that there is this completely dishonest attitude of, of teaching the controversy. Yeah. And then were, but there is no real controversy. It's... it's yeah, they were, they were teaching, oh, there's Darwin's theory and then also there's... Anyway, so... Yeah. Black and white now in um, Britain, no longer allowed. Government said, no, cannot do that. And I just want to reiterate for, for just a clarification. Free schools are non-profit making state-funded schools, which are free to attend. 
but which are mostly independent of the local authority. Mm. So it's not just a generic term for, for any type of school that does not charge fees. What's important in this is to understand that this, it's a state-funded schools. So if they want to continue getting state funds, they have to comply with state regulations, which in this case, as of June 9th, included the fact that you're not supposed to be teaching creationism alongside of evolution. What I wanted to mention as well in, in this part of the show, that uh, this theme of the secular schools in UK is very close to an organization called Humanist UK. Um, and we actually interviewed somebody from Humanist or, or UK organization. Uh, his name is Andrew Copson, and he was on our show back in the day, episode number 12. <laughs> yeah. Um, and he was a chief executive of Humanist um uh, Humanist UK and um, so th this this organization I just wanted to kind of give them a shout out the Humanist UK is doing an amazing work in promoting uh, humanism and secular values in in, uh, in England um, they've actually been also due to the COVID of, co of course they, they haven't been able to fundraise as much and get, a, uh, get it out there as much and so um, they would absolutely benefit from any sort of contributions and I, I, I just wanted to give him a shout out on, on that uh, front mm -hmm. as well. And they have been, of course, fighting for the secular schools in England for many, 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 many years. Considering that England is already pretty secular, it is surprising that some of the things like uh, teaching creationism in schools were still uh, prevalent up until 2014. So... So now we can say that that's no, no longer the case. And uh, it was partly due to the some of the publicity that they did and other activists um, uh, that brought this to, to the attention of the government. Um, so here we go. So there's only one true scientific theory. And I, you know, say that because, uh, you know, people always pick on the word theory, but it's evolution theory. Evolution is real. Everything else is... And it's not even one theory. It's a bunch of theories because uh, the evolutionary theory, we, we usually think of um, Darwin's theory of uh, evolution through natural, natural selection yeah. as evolutionary theory. But it's not only that because evolution has a different aspect that uh, are explained by different theories and uh, they, they keep testing them. And these are the yeah. theories that really strengthen our trust in the original Darwinian uh, evolutionary idea. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. it's just a, a and for for and since since Darwin came up with that theory for years and years and years, nobody was able to prove otherwise. But all the all the evidence that were discovered since then just uh, strengthened the, the the evolutionary theory. So well, Darwin Darwin made a very very strong yeah. case. Yeah, go UK. Uh. Does, what about Hungary and uh, Sweden? Since we've got we've since we've got you guys both. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not actually sure about Latvia, but <laughs> well, creationism is not in the classrooms in Hungary yet. At least not in the sense that they don't teach it as science. Uh, there are. Uh, theology classes where children are required to learn about Bible and stuff. Mm. But the most prominent group of uh, creationists in Hungary, at, at least up until a couple of years ago, were those of the followers of Krishna. P 
pushing for something that is called intelligent design mm. and irreversible complexity that, that mm. says that uh, the, the living things are so complex that they cannot be less complex. Uh, otherwise, they would not work. And uh, this is why they had to be designed. All at once. Yeah. All at once. So this is the intelligent design movement. Uh, it's all bollocks, but, but it was for a while pretty strong here in Hungary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, it, it it was pretty terrible at the beginning of the tr- the two thousands, but no, they didn't manage to push this through. They tried to make it compulsory, really, in the education. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They yeah. lobbied for it, but it didn't work. And I'm surprised that Orban is <laughs> Orban <laughs> is not not doing it yet. But, but uh, he hasn't come it, around to it yet. He will still do, soon do it. Too far down the list. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. And in Sweden, it's not a big thing. It's it's pretty mar- marginal. I'm sure it exists somewhere. But if it would be known, it would be make big headlines. If one of the three schools would start to uh, yeah. do that, and I think it has happened a, a few times, and but then this big scandal, look what they're doing, and then they'll have to stop, so yeah. it's not a big movement. I, I said I don't actually know about Latvia, but I do know, I mean obviously when I went to school however many, many hundreds <laughs> of years ago <laughs> we were still under the Soviet Union, so there were, of course there was no creationism mm-hmm. that, that was a good thing about Soviet Union by the way, yeah, yeah. nobody mm-hmm. taught any fucking creationism. <laughs> oh yeah, and no pseudoscience either oh no no homeopathy yeah, yeah. so that was what i've known <laughs> for and since that yeah until i completed my uh, school and higher education fuck knows what's going on now yeah it's anybody's game probably just out of curiosity uh when you were at school yeah did you attend school in russian or was it a, L- a latvian language school no it was a russian russian school mm-hmm. yeah okay they're now forbidden mm. are they yeah, they officially out, out, outlawed all Russian schools last couple of years ago. So the, every single, so everybody now has to go to Latvian school. Yeah, I just remember that that this led to pretty grim situations with the Russian minorities in the country, right? Yeah, my my mom already talking about wearing a, a sign on her sleeve saying Russian. <sighs> uh, yeah, so I it's know. terrible, and 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 she's not happy. <laughs> and. Uh, this is another aspect that this Estonia is doing much better because there's a there's a massive Russian minority there as well. Well, all three all three Baltic states, Latvia, Estonia, Lithuania, have a similar situation. You know, during the Soviet Union, the migration, the Second yeah. World War, whatever, Russian population was pretty pre- prevalent. Uh, everybody's dealing with it in in own in own way, and Latvia was never really doing that great yeah they yes i mean hence why i left i mean there's there's a lot of political tensions and it's just getting worse and like i said uh, so now there was a latest uh, article that my mom just sent me she's just feeding me all this <laughs> anti-russian sentiments in latvia it's not it's not a surprise or news or anything uh it's just getting worse and the latest one she sent me last week was there was a complaint from a latvian latvian because uh, there's of course russian latvians in, Latvia, yeah. in, a, in a newspaper saying that he thought he was already in Moscow when he was on public transport and everybody was talking Russian mm. in Riga, oh. which is the capital of Latvia. So the the voices are being, like the voices of the Latvians, Latvians are being heard. They don't like that people talk in, in Russian. So I don't know what the next step's going to be. Mm. Oh my God, that is terrible. That, that, that kind of nationalism getting more stronger and stronger. It can only lead to tensions and God knows what it leads to. Yeah. Finally. I, don't you 
you have similar situation in Hungary and Russians? Uh, oh, you you don't have a big no percentage no. though. You don't have. We big, only big had had uh, lots of Hung- uh, Russians while we were occupied, or, or the Russian army had large bases here in Hungary. Mm. Um, because we were the western one of the westernmost countries hmm. of the the Russian bloc, yeah. but in the the beginning of the nineties they left the country, huh. so only a couple people left oh. who had like uh, mixed relationships, uh, mixed marriages, mm. and they didn't want to leave their uh, family behind. So yeah. those were the only ones who who stayed behind, and uh, but the, most of the Russians left the country. Well, Sweden Sweden don't have to think worry about Russians. You've got we haven't been issues. occupied for a long time now. <laughs> <laughs> No, there is another country where it's an issue, uh, and it's Finland. Yeah, yeah. But they have a border with, with yeah. Russia, which which doesn't really help. Yeah. All right. Well, we deviated slightly from... <laughs> oh, sorry. Yes, on this note, that was sidetracked quite significantly. Anyway, that was all I wanted to say. Okay. <laughs> Thank you very much, Yelena. <laughs> and that means that we are moving on to the segment where Pontus pokes the Pope. Right, so uh, this week Francis commented on world events, as he's wont to do, and he got it wrong, in my opinion. (laughs) Big spoiler. Uh, Of course, what he's talked about was uh, George Floyd and and all of the the riots that are taking place now. And he did get it right at first because he said uh, when it, he, he he wanted to condemn racism of course and he said quote we cannot tolerate and turn a blind eye to racism and exclusion in any form end quote so that's fine uh, but then then he lost it he should have left it there he, uh, he should have stopped there but then he continued quote at the same time we have to recognize that the violence of recent nights uh, is self-destructive and self-defeating, end quote. And then he added, nothing is gained by violence and so much is lost, end quote. And that puts him, in my opinion, in the same corner as the oppressors, because he doesn't, and he doesn't even realize that, the black community in the US uh, and elsewhere as well, they have protested, quote unquote, nicely for decades, even centuries, maybe. And uh, it doesn't work. What the hell are they supposed to do? Perhaps kneel during the national anthem being played instead of standing up? We saw how successful that was. It doesn't do any good. So I don't want to condone any kind of violence. But telling people who are desperately no longer want to be murdered that they should protest more nicely is uh, taking the side of the oppressors, in my opinion. Mm. And he is taking the side of of oppressors and... uh, do you remember how he went out and took a stand for the people of Hong Kong a month ago? Uh, no. 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 Remi- remind us, you did he? You don't remember that because he didn't. <laughs> oh, he didn't. <laughs> no, he didn't. No. Oh. He hasn't mentioned it at all. And that is because he wants to stay cozy with the Chinese government. Not too long ago. He's been working hard on his relationship with the Chinese. And not long ago, he got permission by China to confirm or reject appointments of catholic bishops in china and he doesn't want to jeopardize that so that's why he didn't say anything about hong kong so he's very selective on who he's supporting this way or that so he's a he's a bigot 
And uh, you should remember that when people praise him as the so-called good pope. From what I've seen and what I've heard, a majority of protesters who were protesting police brutality were peaceful protesters and protests were hijacked by anarchists who wanted just to uh, wreak chaos and use it to their advantage. So that's Mm. majority. And I've seen a number of interviews with people of color talking to the reporters saying, we don't want that violence. We want to peacefully protest the fact that our uh, people are being killed. That's what I know to be part of the, you know, the story so yeah. i just wanted to yeah yeah it, it, it very often it does happen that uh, people who have no reason to be there whatsoever uh, because they're not protesting against anything they just want to be troublemakers yeah. uh, they hijack the whole thing and then police forces are incapable of distinguishing between the two acts and uh, then they start being being violent against the peaceful protesters, and then the peaceful protesters turn violent as well. Yeah. So um, it's just an escalation of things, and it should be taken seriously that these people appear. All right. So we have we have other news about Francis as well. Uh, he has indirectly admitted that the Vatican is corrupt, and I'm surprised Oops. that it that didn't make uh, bigger headlines this week. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Already four years ago, Francis started reform work uh, by signing the UN's anti-corruption convention. But now he's speeding up the process, and he's is- he issued a new law last week, as a so-called motu proprio. He likes his Latin. <laughs> the, the, this new law replaces all existing regulations adopted in the past by various Vatican departments on matters related to contracting and procurement. So what he's done is centralized all purchasing in, in the Vatican to get rid of the corruption. And um, he has to do this now. He has to speed this up because there's a big deficit in, in the Vatican uh, economy at the moment, as I've spoken about before. Uh, he has to stop the Vatican from bleeding money, and he's doing that by trying to stop the corruption. So that's interesting. But I want to stop on another thing that I couldn't uh, let go this week. It's a little lighter topic. We have seen increased competition worldwide on uh, companies like uh, Netflix and HBO. There are Amazon Prime, Disney+, Plus, Hulu, VRV, YouTube TV, and many, many more. So... Get ready for Vativision. Vativision is the Vativision is the Vatican's new video service that went live on the 8th of June uh, in Italy only so far. But they have plans for uh, many other international markets. They are going to the, U- the US, oh. to uh, Mexico, Argentina, Brazil, Spain, Colombia, the Philippines and Poland and others, as they said in the announcement. So the concept was presented to journalists last uh, Thursday and the Vativision, I gotta love the name, it will be uh, offering a variety of con- uh, content including original programming such as Lourdes, a documentary already released in Italy earlier this year. Andras, I wonder if they filmed that on location or they filmed it in the, in the backyard of the Vatican where they had a copy of the Lord uh, Grotto that I talked about last week. <laughs> I want to know that. Yeah. Also, yeah. there yeah. we... You can, you can look it up on IMDb once it's yeah. out. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Also, there will be uh, the, a run of the 2018 television series I Grandi Papi, or The Great Popes, which uh, follows the stories of uh, John XXIII, John Paul II, Benedict XVI, and of course, Francis himself. So um, look out for that. And when it comes to the US, uh, Jelena, you have to sign up for Vativision so you can uh, report back on what they are showing but, up. But, but by the way, this is a terrible, terrible name. Um, <laughs> they could have come up with something better. Yeah, it sounds like a, a company that, that sells uh, eyeglasses or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but they, they're thinking about it. So, okay, television, television. What can we call it? Vatican television. Oh, Vativision. That's sounds good they they <laughs> but they're trying anyway it's, uh, it's all up there together with the minecraft server that they started last year so they're trying to get modern but uh, we'll see how they will succeed they should have called it papa vision <laughs> <laughs> but what bugs me about this is is that they call that the great popes but is this going to be like a like a long series? So they're going to visit the stories of uh, several different popes because there have been greater popes than these four. Yeah, no, I don't. I, I have to say, I don't know if there will be a sec- truly great pope. I don't know if they're planning a new season of of uh, uh, the I Grandi Papi, but uh, these are the ones that they talked about uh, in uh, 2018. Apparently, I haven't seen it. Obviously, I think it's in Italian, but uh, we'll see. I, I do agree. It was a uh, rather uh, suspicious selection of of, uh, great popes happen just to be the the most current ones, more or less. Actually, I don't have that much of a problem with it as long as they stick to historical facts, because that can be educational. So in that regard, it might be better than, let's say, Goop, yeah. or Goop Lab, <laughs> because yeah. there, there might be things that are worth mentioning from a historical point of view about the, the history of popes, but um, yep. interesting. I love the history of the papacy. Mm. It's absolutely fascinating, a 2,000-year-old story. All right. Thank you very much, Pontus. Thank you. For poking the Pope once again. And we are moving on to discussing the news. Some of them... Uh, we'll have something to do with uh, COVID-19, but most of them won't. Ooh. I think by now we are not at all surprised when, when we see the weirdest things claimed to cure COVID-19. Mm-hmm. Uh, that something that helps patients avoid it or have a more speedy recovery from the disease or something like that. It seems like the latest craze is... Nicotine replacement therapies. Really? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And while it's relatively well established that they can be effective uh, in helping people quit smoking, which is the usual original reason why people use those, now it's suggested that they can also be used as a coronavirus cure. Hmm. It doesn't completely lack a theoretical basis, though, if not a very strong one at that. Uh, So it all boils down to nicotine and SARS-CoV-2, the the virus causing COVID-19, binding to the same protein in the cell membranes Mm -hmm. called ACE2, or angiotensin-converting enzyme 2. So nicotine has been suggested to play a part in regulating this. This might be the reason why, in some cases, nicotine can have a protective effect against certain diseases. But what about COVID-19? 
Now, it seems like there has to be some kind of connection with COVID-19, at least statistically speaking, because smokers appear to have a higher risk of uh, contracting the virus, as well as having severe outcomes. But it's not a strong enough correlation to be definite about it. And even if there is an effect, a possible mechanism for it is not really spoken of. And... One study even said that nicotine patches reduce the risk of infection. Mm. So the complete opposite effect was uh, proposed. Combine that with the previously mentioned protective effect, or suggested protective effect, and voila, uh, we have ourselves a new COVID-19 cure. At least according to some dudes on on the interwebs. Who are selling those Uh, Yeah, and and who who read something written by someone who heard about this and possibly even about how there are plans to test nicotine products in the context of COVID-19, which there are. Anyway, the next thing you know, there's a surge of nicotine replacement products in France. And uh, to such an extent that the government had to put a limit to sales. Oh, really? People were rushing to the stores to buy nicotine replacement products. And although one in four French people smoke, this suggests that it was not only smokers, but former smokers and non-smokers as well, who who went out to buy patches, Hmm. because otherwise they would just keep on smoking. Fun fact, although the research is in question showed a low risk of getting infected uh, for smokers, it looked like once they get infected, they are much more likely to end up in an IC unit. Aye, aye. So it really doesn't seem to be beneficial to be a smoker when you contact or uh, when get infected with uh, COVID-19. So I'd say it's still best to stay away from smoking, from both smoking and COVID-19. <laughs> both, are, both are terrible habits, <laughs> but uh, smoking makes you smell awful, mm-hmm. makes you sick. And if not as a COVID-19 patient, you still have a 50% chance of getting killed by it in the long run. So just don't do it. Don't do it. No, no, no. No, and in any case, these rumors, even how plausible it might be or speculation, it's just speculation. You it can't is. take anything away from it until it's been tested. So please exactly hold your horses. Without clinical evidence, it's nothing. It's just an idea. Yeah, it's just an idea. And uh, by the way, smoking the 31st of May was World No Tobacco Day. Did you know that? No, but I didn't smoke all day. (laughs) (laughs) Neither did I. And the the WHO, the WHO, released some disturbing numbers um, on the occasion, especially in the light of all what what I just said. It's, It's pretty concerning. It looks like in the WHO European region, one in seven boys and one in eight girls between the age of 13 and 15 use tobacco in some shape or form. Mm -hmm. That is quite a high number. Mm. And some try to argue that e-cigarettes are are much less risky. But the thing is, those beliefs date back to the beginning of the recent advent of of, of this technique, the the e-cigarettes, when there is no research whatsoever on the long-term health effects. Now that more data is available, it looks like these are almost as harmful as normal cigarettes. So several members of the uh, European Public Health Alliance uh, came together to hold a webinar on this, on uh, World No Tobacco Day, which you can find and watch when you check out our website for the show notes. I think it's worth spending some time with it, especially because uh, chances are that uh, if you live in the European region, some or several of of children of that age uh, around you 
are smokers. So mm -hmm. you might want to do something about that. Mm. Especially because it might be a result of uh, misleading advertisement. Yikes. Uh, and this is how it becomes a skeptical issue. Mm -hmm. All right. So we mentioned that you shouldn't jump to conclusions too quickly when there's a new theory coming out. Uh, actually, I did that a bit last week <laughs> uh, about hydroxychloroquine. The kerfuffle simply won't go away. Uh, I, I spoke very confidently last week uh, that hydroxychloroquine had finally been proven to be dangerous and everyone except the French doctor Didier Raoul has abandoned it. And I thought that would be the last thing we heard about it. And I should have known better because it's not true. So, but ma many of us, or I think everybody uh, that follows this uh, now know by now that uh, the study that was published in The Lancet that claimed that hydroxychloroquine uh, led to higher mortality in patients was most likely based on fabricated or at least incorrect data and it has now been withdrawn. So the, 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 the data came from a company called Surgisphere, I think, yeah. and it was inconsistent, had unrealistic number of entries and when the company was asked to provide the original source data, they, they didn't do so. So um, that was very suspicious and it was all withdrawn. And the lesson is, of course, that never draw definitive conclusions from one single study, no matter from uh, even if it's from a very prestigious magazine. Mm. But in the meanwhile, let's remember, we still have no good evidence that hydroxychloroquine is any good against COVID-19 either. It may be less dangerous than we thought last week, but it still has to be proven to have any effect. In fact, the same day that the study was withdrawn, there was a new study that came out from the University of Oxford saying that they had found no indication that hydroxychloroquine worked against COVID-19. However, I've learned my lesson. Don't, don't, <laughs> don't take everything from one single study. And this was just an observational study. So we still don't know for sure, but... Uh, one comment from last week still stands before you know don't start using it and uh, there are, there's no good reason to believe that it works at the moment it may change tomorrow of course but uh, as far as i know i haven't looked at all the the different studies but as far as i know there is quite strong evidence that it doesn't show an effect a positive effect so because it's much more overwhelming so the it's it comes from different directions it comes from different studies so it's much more well established yeah so i think we can almost say that it's completely ineffective so at least don't take anything that's ineffective that's what we say about homeopathy all the time <laughs> yeah don't that's right. take don't take a product that doesn't do you anything no uh, that's right please please don't even if it's even if it's not harmful directly don't spend your money on it don't no. waste your money on it and and don't put anything in your mouth that we don't know what it does yeah and, and also it's very very hard to prove you can't really scientifically prove a negative. You can't prove that something does not work. You can only do test after test after test and say, well, so far we haven't found anything. We didn't see. So yes. it's probably not there. Let's move on. But yeah, uh, but the, the more uh, studies uh, emerge with that result and the more strongly that pattern seems to be appearing, the more confident you can be so this is yeah, this is yeah, why i brought right. in the, the example the example of homeopathy yeah but what what i really love about this situation is that surgisphere 
was caught. Mm. It seemed mm. for a while that they would be able to get away with it. Mm. But the scientific community as a whole really managed to to weed it out and find out that there is something fishy about this. Yeah. There is something, something doesn't add up. And uh, I read, read about this company that uh, it was a startup company and they claimed that they had uh, collected the data from 120 different hospitals from all around the world. And a company with only a few employees could not have pulled this off, no. could not have had all that connection. It takes years to build up such a, such a large network. But it, nobody stopped for a moment to question that before the data started sound, uh, looking a bit off. Mm. But So well done, science. Yeah, it was pretty quickly too. I mean, it was just about a week yeah. after it was published and it was withdrawn again. So that's actually encouraging. Yeah, it is. So take that anti-science sentiment, people. <laughs> this is how science works and it fucking does. I mean, it has its flaws, but... All right, so I'm wondering if your nation's have a specific moment in history that that you keep close to your heart as a nation as a painful memory that never fades away uh, this week or no uh, <laughs> no 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 in no, general no, the, yeah i think there are a few yeah okay so do people uh, uh, invest a lot emotionally in that as a nationalistic kind of uh, attitude I don't think Sweden isn't very nationalistic. Yeah, yeah. We we haven't been occupied for a long time. We haven't been in any wars for a long time. So nationalism is not very big here at all. Okay. We just take for granted that uh, we are Sweden. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're Swedish, whatever. Mm. <laughs> but, I, I do, I, but, you know, if you want to have examples, when they shot Olof Palme, our prime minister in the 80s. Mm -hmm. That is a uh, yeah. that's a painful memory for, for a lot of people still. And actually, mm -hmm. they are going to finish the investigation in a couple of weeks. They're going to finally fold. And they haven't found a killer yet. And I don't think they have will announce. There are speculations, of course, now because they are going to wind it down and summarize everything. But I don't think we will ever know. Okay. So are there many conspiracy theories uh, surrounding that, oh, yes. that event? Oh, okay. yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Different ones? <laughs> Some sometimes even contradictory ones. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, yes, and and uh, but no credible ones that I have heard of. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There were a couple of leads that the the police was were investigating for many many years, but eventually they just fizzled out. And they couldn't prove that it was anything. Okay. Mm. Yeah. Anything that you can recall from uh, Latvia, Yelena? I don't. I mean, we do know we do know based on what you just said earlier that uh, nationalism is big <laughs> in Latvia, but. Well, it's not going to be a specific, right? Because for Latvia, it's basically all under one umbrella of occupation. So the Russian occupation that's never essentially left. Oh, wait a minute. I can say one um, one thing that is big for all three Baltic states, but it's a positive. It's not a painful one. Go on. It's the Baltic way, oh. right? Right. The Baltic way it was, and it was big. Oh my God, that was huge. More than 600 kilometers it added up to when people lined up holding hands right. on, on the roads. It was amazing. Mm -hmm. So good for them. Good for the, the Baltic states to have a positive, a memorable event. We do have a negative one. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I'm sure we have probably lots of negatives, but just it doesn't come up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, the problem is wherever there is such a memory, there is room for political gain based on, on yes. how skilled someone is in pulling those strings. Mm -hmm. And nationalistic pride 
combined with a bit of sadness can go a long way, unfortunately. Especially when you have scapegoats as well. So, Hungary's heavy burden, that is a great wound for the whole nation, is the Treaty of Trianon. Does this historical event ring a bell? Mm, no, no, not really. No, of course not, because you're not Hungarians. <laughs> <laughs> We've known for a while, at, at least since Orban is in power, that um, a true Hungarian considers it the greatest catastrophe in the nation's history. Mm -hmm. And believe us, we've seen a couple of catastrophes. <laughs> You've had a few. Yeah, okay, yeah. in our history, we've been occupied by different uh, countries. Sometimes uh, a large portion of the country was uh, killed. So there, there were great catastrophes in, in the history of Hungary. But it was uh, this one that, that has to play the most important role in people's minds. It was when, after the end of the First World War, or the Great War, as it was called back then, the Austria-Hungarian Empire, or the Austria-Hungarian monarchy, collapsed. And the peace treaties finalizing the map of Europe were taking place between 1919 and 1920 in or around Paris. Mm. It was called the Paris Peace Conference, actually. Now, one of these happened in the Grand Trianon Palace of uh, Versailles. That was when the new borders of Hungary were decided by the Allied forces, in which French diplomats played a crucial role. The result of the treaty was a landlocked, massively diminished country that measured only 28% of the original size of the Kingdom of Hungary, mm -hmm. which had previously been a thriving part of the empire since 1867. The country also lost 64% of its population, including one-third of all Hungarian nationals who got stuck outside the new borders. The infrastructure of the country collapsed all of a sudden, uh, major cities were cut off from the system, and it took more than a decade to even start stabilizing the economy. And you can imagine that it led to a rise of the nationalistic sentiment that mm. played a major role in Hungary, ending up siding with the Nazis in the Second World War. And the 4th of June this year marked the 100th anniversary of the Treaty of Trianon. Massive commemorative events would have taken place had it not been for COVID-19 uh, and the COVID-19 situation. But a new memorial was inaugurated and the country found ways to commemorate this painful event. Uh, the, the time of the actual uh, signing of the treaty by the Hungarian delegation was commemorated by ringing a bell and all that stuff. In preparation for all this, uh, the Hungarian Academy of Sciences Trianon 100 research group led a research into how the citizens of Hungary perceive the treaty and its long-term effects on the nation. Mm -hmm. It was a representative survey among the complete adult population of the country with over 1,000 respondents. Although the details surrounding the treaty, including the exact date and the circumstances, seem to be known only by about 1%, mm. and 40% knows at least the year it happened, as many as 84% thinks that it was a moment of terrible injustice towards Hungarians. 60% believes that it is the greatest tragedy Hungary has ever faced, and those who think that a true Hungarian must feel the pain of the loss to this day amount to 63%. Mm. But this is the interesting part that makes for good sceptical considerations. About one-third of the respondents believed that the treaty was valid only for 100 years, so this 4th of June, it 
lost its validity, so it's no longer in effect. Oh, so we are back. We the empire is restored now. Yeah, is, is that what they think? Actually, they're not talking about the empire. Okay, the empire was much larger. They they are only talking about yeah. the kingdom of Hungary, which was part of the empire after the eighteen sixty seven. Ah, okay, mm. and uh, mm. it was massive. But but tell tell me, Anders, what do people believe is supposed to happen? Let's say that they are. I don't know. Right, and and that the treaty is now no longer valid. What, what do they expect to happen? Honestly, I have no idea. Uh, there are several uh, Facebook groups, for example, that that want to revise this whole uh, thing. Uh, historical revisionism is is pretty big in the country, and it and it got so right after the Treaty of Trianon, and bef- between the two world wars, the nationalistic uh, sentiment got really strong and uh, this is what pushed us towards the nazis mm. uh, at the beginning of the first uh, second world war so in 1941 we joined the the world war on the wrong side <laughs> as the sidekick of the nazis yeah. yeah so we were on the wrong side again and uh, we seem to be always on the wrong side yeah now we're in the eu and orban in his cabinet has made a habit out of appearing as strong freedom fighters for all Hungarians, even within the EU, where borders don't really mean that much anymore, with the obvious ex- exception of uh, situations like the COVID-19 pandemic, of course. And uh, uh, they constantly compare the EU and the EU leadership to the Allied forces of the First World War that dictated things on us. And that resonates very well with a lot of Hungarians, and that has its terrible political consequences. And we were not really famous for our good relationship with our neighbors either, especially not with uh, Romania. Uh, but we have our fair share of tension with Slovakia as well. Mm. And we tend to believe, well, not me, but as a nation, that we are these massive heroes for enduring all this against all the odds and against all those terrible, very strong forces. Mm. In fact, Zoltan Kovac, the, the spokesman for uh, Orban's government, said, and I quote, no other nation or country could have survived what happened to us a hundred years ago, and we should be really proud of our existence. End quote. Mm. Well, I have to say, there is pride and there's arrogance. And since our current government of 10 years seems to be fixated on the latter, uh, no matter what uh, diplomatic situation we found ourselves in, leaving not much room for the healing of those wounds. And I blame them for that. Uh, they try to keep that all that up instead of discussing it in detail, instead of facing what the reality of the situation was back then uh, with all the, the, the historical circumstances, the historical context. Uh, it's not happening because they need it. They need this to stay afloat because of their political gains that come out of that <laughs> yeah but so you're waiting for the revival of the kingdom of hungary right so i'm sure that uh, orban is going to announce that very soon and become the new king well well or should i i should not give him those ideas well also uh, yeah i don't think he needs those ideas he, he also already has them in his mind <laughs> yeah make hungary great again yeah oh yeah yeah, 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 yeah. The uh, Great Hungarian Empire. Uh, well, there, there were in historical times. There were moments when uh, uh, the Hungary, the Kingdom of Hungary, was really great. One of the greatest uh, forces. But most countries have had those periods. Yes. Yeah, if, yeah. if you go back and look at it. Yeah, Sweden did have a period of yeah, that yeah. Yeah, as well. Yeah. yeah. 
come on, with a 30-year war hmm? in the middle of Europe, yeah. Swedish troops were keeping cities under siege yes <laughs> in yeah, the middle yeah. of europe as far right. down as the czech republic mm. the current czech republic it's, right. it's unbelievable yeah anyway so uh one third of the people believe that and uh, but but the, the good thing is that there are still 54 percent who don't don't believe that and they say it's bollocks yeah so oh. <laughs> but okay, but it fine. doesn't make it it doesn't make it less uh, less worrisome. What should we do with all of these gullible people uh because I they're don't know. they're everywhere and I'm going to talk about another example very shortly though. Okay. People still fall for all of the obvious clickbait things online. It it doesn't seem that enough people understand the importance of checking out sources or even having a basic instinct to say well, that seems to be too good to be true, so maybe I should check it first. And a recent example is, um, for, for those who are not aware, there is a big retailer of computers, TVs and other electronics in the UK called Curry's PC World. And some dude... Oh, I remember them. And some <laughs> d- <laughs> Good. And some dude created a Facebook page the other day, just called Curry's without the apostrophe and no PC world after it. And with no history to the page at all. It's brand new page. They posted, quote, we have 350 Samsung 65 inch TVs delivered. Sadly, 27 of them has had slight scratches and can't be sold. Share by 11 p.m. to win one free, end quote. And eight hours later, this post had more than 288,000 shares. Ugh. Come on, people. <laughs> you should know better. It's a scam. Ah. So they only want to collect your list of names. And now they know not just that you're in the market for a new TV, but also that you're gullible and will click on anything. Ugh. <laughs> Ah, gosh. I thought people knew better by now. Gullible people 101. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> the page is still there, but the post has been deleted. Uh, are you saying there's no free TVs, Pontus? Is that what you're saying? That's what I'm saying. There's no free anything. No. There has been a, a new declaration uh, on homeopathy uh, announced in Germany, out of all places. Now, why why is Germany important? Because that's where the freaking homeopathy is came from (laughs) they should be clapping down on that already i mean i don't understand anyways there have been many 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 declarations uh made on homeopathy in the past but this one is important because it's coming from german medical students and it's a great sign it's a new generation of the doctors that are currently being educated um in germany and they put that out there i don't know how many people interested in homeopathy will read it I'm being a bit skeptical about that, but Mm -hmm. I shall outline um, the seven things that they declared. Mm -hmm. I'll be quoting from our friend's website, Edzit Ernst. He should be really earning money from our podcast, I'm telling you. We should be earning money from our podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Anywho, um, so there were seven declarations. Number one, homeopathy does not work beyond placebo. I mean, we've talked about that at ho- uh, ad nauseum. Yeah. Number two, the legal health insurance should not reimburse homeopathy. Apparently in Germany it does. So if you have insurance, yes, you can get it free. Yes, we talked about that uh, 
maybe it's a year ago almost, Jens Spahn had an idea that he would re- withdraw it and then he copped out because he couldn't get the support for that. Yeah. So they're still doing that. Yeah. Um, the law stating that homeopathy can only be sold in pharmacies should be abolished. I did not know about that, but apparently that is the case in Germany that only pharmacies have monopoly on homeopathic remedies. Mm-hmm. Medicine should only be licensed if there is a valid proof of efficacy. Well, it's pretty standard, right? Not in Europe. Apparently, there have been special regulations. Exactly. Apparently, the special regulations in Germany and homeopathic remedies could be licensed without proof of efficacy. Yeah. Uh, number five. In public debates, it must be made clear that homeopathy is not part of naturopathy. This is a big one, actually, because I think, oh, I don't want to say 90%, but 50% of people who think of homeopathy think of naturopathy. They think about plants and uh, extracts and all that green stuff <laughs> not not the water diluted uh, hundreds of millions of times yeah this is not naturopathy it's nothingopathy <laughs> <laughs> exactly That's right. yeah and, and and so the homeopaths of course take that confusion and play it to the uh, hand of course to try to muddy the waters <laughs> um number six the medical degree in homeopathy must be scrapped well this Tall order, right? Because if people are willing to pay for this degree, then there'll be institutions and universities that provide that degree. But anyway, uh, it shouldn't be called medical degree, that's for sure. And then number seven, the teaching of homeopathy must be evidence-based and context-related, which will be very short study, in my opinion. <laughs> How does it work? It doesn't. <laughs> the end. Mm. It's like, that's the shortest lesson you, in your life. So, so all good points. Uh, like I said, uh, the Federal Agency of Medical Students in Germany, a coalition of 39 student bodies to medical colleges and universities in Germany, published this. That's good. So that's pretty... Uh, Impressive. Mm-hmm. It uh, covers a, a, a large area. I, I just don't know how they're going to market it. Seriously, people, we need some good marketing people who will be spreading the word. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and But the good marketing people want money, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> there's not much money in. Skepticism. But don't they want to? Don't they want to stop the spread of uh, um, pseudoscience as well? Marketing people. Yeah. No. Oh, how can we how can we find those who do anyway <laughs> okay i want to talk about this t- next topic one more time and i i almost don't want to but it really annoys me uh, <laughs> because again and again i see reporting about the total failure of the swedish pandemic strategy and everybody oh, back to covid19 oh. yeah I, I had to go back to oh i like me a bit of swedish sweden is i how are you Liking it, Sweden is under such a scrutiny, and everybody's like prodding and poking and looking and waiting for Sweden to fail. I don't, I don't exactly. Wanna, Every, I don't want it to fail. No, but everybody's gloating now about how we in Sweden are now suffering the highest mortality, uh, quote unquote, in Europe after refusing lockdown of the country. And it's not even true. Uh, no, <laughs> of course the numbers presented at first glance may seem to back that up, but again, I, I'm, I'm, I should say. I'm not at all sure that Sweden couldn't have done a better job. So that's not about it. I'm I'm just so annoyed about the misrepresentation of the data. If we, instead of looking at the number of deaths from COVID-19, look at the overall excess mortality during this spring in different countries, then you get a totally different picture. The number of COVID deaths in Spain, for instance, only explains 65% of the excess deaths. In the UK, the same number is 72%, and in Italy, it's less than 60%. So what did all the other people 
die from if it wasn't COVID-19. Not getting uh, taken care of. Yeah, I don't, <laughs> uh, maybe. That could be a few, but I, I don't think that explains all of it. So where do the deaths come from? Well, I think it comes from COVID-19, but we're just not reporting it correctly. It, also in Sweden, we haven't managed to explain all the excess deaths with uh, COVID, but our numbers explain 81% of them. Wow. So if you want to get Italy to the same explanation level of as of Sweden, you would have to increase the number of COVID deaths in, in Italy by 35%. You had would have to increase them by 23% in Spain and 12% in the UK. And uh, on top of that... There are now reports from the UK that especially retirement homes, where we know the Swedish deaths have happened quite a lot, are apparently much higher than had been reported before. So uh, Sweden is hit hard by COVID, and so is everyone. But the numbers are most likely not better in other European countries, if you really look into the numbers. Sweden is just better at reporting the statistics, and then we get flack for that. And I, I can tell you, we have a good... I'm Actually, as a Swede, I'm pretty proud of the Swedish statistics because we have a Bureau of Swedish Statistics that has its roots back in 1749. I think that's the oldest in the world. Mm. We are very good at uh, keeping track of, of things in tables and stuff. Mm-hmm. So I think that may be behind part of the reason why we are managing to report uh, more COVID deaths than anybody else. Evidence does not support the idea that uh, we are much harder hit than and, than anybody else. Mm-hmm. Mm. So, end of rant. I hope I will not have to come back to this topic again because it's but, tiring. No, I'm afraid you will. <laughs> Be- because I, I'm telling you, I'll tell to. you why, why Pontus. Because I, the rest of the world is trying to justify this huge economic cost of shutting many, many countries down for two, three months. America is fucked. Mm-hmm. If they followed Swedish model, they would have been much better off. So now they have to backtrack and 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 uh, manuf- uh, manufacture some sort of excuse. So they're gonna they're gonna <laughs> try to dismantle whatever Sweden did. Yeah. Well, I think one of the one of the reasons why the U.S. is fucked is because they didn't take it seriously at the beginning. <laughs> so uh, I'm I'm not sure uh, we should say that uh, they should have followed the Swedish model. The Swedish model worked for Sweden. Yes, I agree. And we have to emphasize that the different models work for different countries. And we've discussed that uh, extensively here on the show as well, that for the Italians, it wouldn't have worked because the Italians, in, in Italy, people people are just crammed into small places in large numbers yeah. all the time. So for the spreading of the virus, it's just paradise from the virus's point of view. Mm. It's it's So it's difficult. Uh, there are different strategies that work for different countries. But interestingly, here in Hungary, the more official... Uh, approach uh, towards um, the uh, the Swedish model is that look look how badly they're doing. So they try to just justify the the strong actions uh, that were taken here in Hungary, mm-hmm. and we we weren't really badly hit. We have uh, a little bit more than four thousand cases altogether, and but very high uh, case fatality rate mm. because. Out of the four thousand, we have more than five hundred dead. Uh-huh. We we are among the worst in that regard. But 
for those who want to their normal lives back and they they want to fight this madness of lockdown they downplay the swedish model Mm. And they say that, oh, it's it, it worked perfectly. And look, they're not very badly hit. And, and the people are much happier and the country is not that badly hit. But then they forget that uh, even Sweden has an, an economic downfall because of this. Yes. And uh, because it's, it's a very highly reliant on experts, mm. right? Mm. The country's economy. And uh, now with all the borders shut, um, it's, it's going to be difficult. So... It's a complex thing. It's, uh, but I love the fact that about uh, what you said about the statistics. That's uh, that should be the driving force in making any kind of decision or policy decisions. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, statistics, numbers, data. <laughs> you you cannot facts. Yeah, not your gut feelings. And to to finish on a very very positive note, and to provide some kind of uh, support to one of our friends, Massimo Polidoro. He is one of the most prominent figures of the Italian skeptic movement, uh, a lovely friend of ours and a prolific writer whose works span from investigative books to explainer videos on YouTube and lots of public appearances. He has finally decided that it might be time for accepting donations in a classy, very unique way that really reflects his brilliant personality. Mm -hmm. So he recently launched a Patreon page and gave it a nice title, the Island of Mystery. He came up with seven categories of Patreon donations with very elaborate details outlining the differences. And the theme is basically the mysterious island of thought, uh, critical thinking and investigation. Uh, if you decide to go on a journey with him to discover this island full of wonders, you'll go deeper and deeper into the secrets of it. And uh, I think it's absolutely brilliant, very intriguing. It's like jumping into Stevenson's Treasure Island only by reading all the stuff on his Patreon page. And when you consider all that he offers as goodies, uh, there are lots of new goodies that come with every step on the list of subscriptions. So please, if you can spare a few euros a month, consider donating to the cause. Uh, he's been providing readers, podcasts, and YouTube listeners with lots of freely available stuff over the years. I can assure you, if you spend your money on helping him out uh, financially, that money will be well spent. Yes, Patreon is good. And speaking of Patreon, <laughs> you're very welcome to, to support us as well if you want to. Go to oh, yes. patreon.com slash the ESP and see if you can find it in your hearts and in your wallets to send us a euro or two per episode. We would really appreciate it. Yes. All right, that has been all the news that we wanted to share with our listeners. So, moving on to finding out who's been really wrong or really right lately. Actually, Pontus was wrong. Ooh, was he? Pontus was wrong last week. I'll just have to correct one little thing I said <laughs> regarding last week's really wrong Price that was well deserved, so I'm not withdrawing that. But I said at one point that uh, it would be strange for a virus to evolve to be less effective, 
actually, I regretted that afterwards. And also we got a uh, an email from listener Andreas to point out that it's actually quite usual for a virus not to want to kill your host. Yeah. You want you want to uh, uh, evolve to be less deadly so that you have more people to spread to. And that, of course, is right. So I shouldn't have said that. So Pontus was wrong. But uh, Dr. Zangrillo in, in Italy was... Uh, uh, still very wrong for saying what he said. Never mind. Let's go out on a positive note this week. I would like to end with a really right award. It has been a while and uh, it's time. And also, let's not talk about uh, COVID more today. There is a Dutch anesthesiologist, an author called uh, Gerald Verley. I'm trying to pronounce that correctly. It's <laughs> W-O-E-R-L-E-E. Uh, I'm sure it, it's wrong, but uh, something like Wurli. It's, it's uh, probably like Wurli or something. I, 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 I don't know. Let's not speculate. But anyway, however you pronounce it, he has been practicing anesthesiology for de- decades and he has taken a keen interest in so-called out-of-body experiences and how they can seem to happen when you're under sedation. So he knows how these experiences can be triggered by chemicals And he sees no need to explain these things uh, as supernatural. But as a good skeptic, he also points out that he can't rule out that there is anything supernatural going on. But there doesn't seem to be the need for that to explain what's happening. So it's classical old school skepticism right there. He has written a couple of books about this. And the good news this week is that he has just published a new one. And not only is it in English, so it's accessible for most of us. He has also decided to give it away for free digitally. Wow. So you can download it in several different formats uh, on the specific website that he has created and which we will link to. The book is called Anesthesia and the Soul. And I've taken a quick look at it. I'm looking forward to reading it. Uh, It certainly seems very well researched. It has almost 900 references at the end. So, and of course I haven't checked out if all of those references are good, but it looks very impressive. So um, I hope a lot of our listeners will take the opportunity to learn more about this topic and how the mind can be tricked into believing all kinds of weird shit. (laughs) So for publishing for free, what seems to be a very interesting and educational an educational book, Gerald Wurley gets today's prize for being really right. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much, Pontus. Mm-hmm. And that basically concludes our show, which means that there is one more thing left to do, and that is a quote. So what have you got for us this week, Elena? I have a quote from Brian Cox, who is an English physicist, professor of practice physics, and overall, very entertaining guy. I think he's got a show or two or four. He's a musician as well. Yeah, yeah. well, he used to be at least. Uh, I'm pretty sure he can still play. Yeah, very talented guy and interesting. Yes. Yeah. yeah, super fun guy. He's one of those scientists who does really well with communicating science to the general public who know nothing about, well, most about anything really. So, <laughs> Okay, he said, 
I'm comfortable with the unknown. That's the point of science. There are places out there, billions of places out there that we know nothing about. And the fact that we know nothing about them excites me and I want to go out and find out about them. And that's what science is. So I think if you're not comfortable with unknown, then it's difficult to be a scientist. I don't need an answer. I don't need answers to everything. I want to have answers to find. Ah, very good. Yeah. Very good. Cool. I fucking love science. Thank you very much, Yolanda. Thanks. And indeed, thanks to both of you for joining me today, Yelena and Pontus. Thank you. And I'd like to thank our listeners as well for tuning in. Please keep doing so. And until next week, goodbye. Thanks, guys. Bye. Paka, paka. Hey, do. Bis dann. This has been your ESP experience. The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. Join us again next time, but until then, please send your feedback, comments or death threats to info at the ESP.eu. We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes, as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the continent. If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know as we are more than happy to help. All music in the program was written and performed by Kisha J. Gray and George Schraub and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at www.theesp.eu, follow us on Twitter at espodcast underscore eu and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can Speaking in tongues. What were you going to say, Pontus? Nothing. 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 Um. Right. I have. I have a seizure. Huh? A seizure. It sounds like it. No, I just opened... uh, I didn't realize there is more than one Brian Cox. Um, Anyway...